Amen and amen. You can be seated. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you braved the threats. Well, what was a threat has turned real of slick roads and you're here uh, to celebrate with us. Uh, we're actually beginning this week the celebration of 10 years. We, we started the church 10 years ago. Uh, in next, next week's the official day, but, but realistically we've been at it for 10 years now. And as we begin this morning, I thought it would just be fitting to share some of the testimony that has kind of born out of our work. And so I've got a couple of videos, as we've talked about it, a couple of videos that, that people wanted to share and just celebrate with us. So, Hello and good morning to everybody. Greetings from, the, from Senegal, the brothers and sisters. Uh, we greet you and uh, we sing... Happy anniversary for 10 years. Uh, we are happy and uh, we are brothers and sisters. We pray that you will continue to be a blessing to us and we will be a blessing to you people there. So thank you very much for praying for us every day and every time. Remember us to pray for us and because of um, we are here walking and trying to spread the good news um, so that the Holy Spirit will give us the ability and power to do it. So we thank you all. Happy New Year in advance. Thank you all. Hey Seth and the Way family, just wanted to congratulate you on your 10th anniversary or birthday or, or both. You know, when I think of the way, I think of what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he said, I thank God every time I remember you because you bring joy to my prayers because of your partnership in the gospel. Seven years ago, South Haven launched into a vision God had given us to engage an unreached people group. And six years ago, you joined us in that partnership of the gospel. And it has been an exciting partnership. We've seen God do some incredible things in West Africa. And the reality is only God knows the real impact of this partnership. But what I do know is that there are Jahanke and Mandinka and Fulani men and women who had never heard the gospel prior to us going, who are now professing faith in the Lord Jesus and will be with us for all of eternity. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for partnering with us in this effort. Thank you for sending teams and for going on teams. Uh, Seth, thank you for, for just leading your people to love unreached people. And thank you so much, The Way, for your passionate commitment to the gospel, both here in Springfield and even to the ends of the earth. South Haven celebrates with you on this very special day. And may God continue to bless the way as the way continues to be a blessing. God bless. All right. I thought that was fitting to share with you guys this morning because as we come back from our trip to Senegal, uh, you know, the, the team that was there over Christmas, uh, I struggled while we were there, just to be quite frank. Uh, we were training to go evangelize. We had, I had a, a, a purpose in mind. I had something I was going to do in mind. And it didn't work out exactly to my plan. And so I felt the frustration of that as we were there. But what we realized, and what, just through some, some uh, reflections since we've been back, what, what we were able to realize in that week is that the village that we're working at, the, the village we were in working in six years ago, seven years ago, alongside South Haven was an unreached 
village. There was no gospel presence at all. Today, <laughs> today there's a church. By the power of God, his grace and the gospel, there is a gathering of believers that celebrate that they have eternal life. You know, 10 years ago, we set out to, to plant a church that, whose purpose was simply that, the gospel, that, that, that God would be glorified through the gospel, that that would be the sole reason, the sole purpose for our existence. We purposely and passionately pursue, proactively strive to see God glorified. And even with as much as it's changed over the years, I mean, you think about what has changed over the years. For those of you that have been here with us for a number of years, the, it, it's more than just a location. We used to meet in a school. Before that, we met in a storefront. Before that, we met in a church building on Sunday nights. Before that, we met in Billy and Melissa's living room. It's more than just the faces that have, have changed. There's people that have come and gone, people that we have sent, people that have left us, people that have, have come and joined and stood by us and connected with us. And all that's changed over these years, this is one thing that hasn't changed. Because of the gospel, we are striving to be a people whose worship leads others to worship Jesus. Because of the gospel, we desire to be a church whose, whose lives of worship lived out loud for everybody to see, whose lives of worship lead others to see God's glory in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they then, then would be able to join us, to stand with us and worship him in all of their life. And there's a reality that this is happening in a village in West Africa today. Not simply because we went, part of it, but because God worked through our going. God's grace and his power was made evident, purposeful. I wouldn't dare say that we've done this perfectly. I wouldn't dare say that we've arrived at some place so we can finally rest. Here we are, 10 years old, we can finally rest. We don't have to strive for this anymore. Because I can see the, the, the competing affections in my own heart, right? So I, I can see the things that I desire sometimes that, that, that compete with a desire for God's glory. And I'm guessing since we're all people here, if, if those competing affections are evident in my heart and life, you can probably find them in yours too. So thank God for his grace, right? I mean, thank God that he's not measuring us on our perfection of pursuing this ultimate purpose. That in this gospel that we, that we cling to, that we, that we find as the foundation, thank God that in this gospel we find his grace that maintains our relationship, that maintains the forgiveness that, that enables us to stand and walk in relationship with him, even in our imperfection. But it is this same grace. It is this same grace that forgives and empowers us to live in this relationship that now compels me to call you to not quit striving. Even after 10 years, we have much work to do. Because God has much work to do.
He is not finished in each of us. He is not finished. He is not finished in us corporately. And he is not finished in this world. If he were, Christ would return in this moment and make it all new and we'd be done. And then we could rest. So every year, every year, another thing that hasn't changed maybe, we come to this place, this New Year's, uh, this first sermon of the new year, and we take time, whatever we're doing, stop it. We take time to, to look forward and call each other to renew our efforts, to renew our striving, to reorient our lives around this central purpose. To be a people whose lives of worship lead others to worship Jesus. To be able to see his glory to be able to see his grace and to be able to see the truth, to be able to hear it and respond to it, that they might join us in his worship. This year, because we are 10 years old, we're going we're gonna to expand that a little bit more than just a week. We're going to actually spend the rest of this month and creeping into February spending some time just looking at who we are, what, what we're going to do, how we're going to seek to accomplish this. So I encourage you, please, please, Join us. Be with us in this. This isn't just a church growth strategy. It's not just a a way that we can seek to multiply and grow in some way. This is God's will for his people. That's what we're going to be looking at. It's his mission in the world. It's his mission that he's given us as a church. Over the years, we've seen this from a number of different places, a number of different perspectives, and and the scripture, we find it everywhere. Today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we consider what it is to, to see worship and, and mission multiplied, to see it grown and to see it expanding, not just among us, yes, among us, across our own individual hearts, across our hearts corporately and, and, and even beyond us, among us and beyond us. We're, we're going to see that this is God's purpose for his church, his mission for his people is that we worship. So that others can worship. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for, what's, for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensualities, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. You sense that? This is a sense of urgency. This is a sense of priority here. The end of all things is at hand. I don't think that Peter was looking for Jesus to come back in that moment. But I think that Peter's saying that there's nothing stopping him. It could happen at any minute. It could happen in any moment. There's nothing left for him to accomplish before this occurs. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, 
Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order, in order the very reason we do it all, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. There's a fitting passage, I think, for, for us to, to look at at this beginning of the, of, of the year, 2018. It's a fitting passage because this is a natural time for people to stop and just take, take stock to slow down, to take stock of their life and, and look for ways to, to improve upon it, to, to make changes so that, that 2018 can be better than 2017. So we make resolutions. Some of the most popular are I'm going to lose weight or I want get, to get healthier, I'm going to work out more, I'm going to adopt new spending habits. We're, we're going to do these things. But as I thought about this, and, and, and maybe you would agree with me, I, I realized I, I think we make resolutions... Because we recognize, every one of us recognize something is missing. Something's wrong. We're making resolutions to correct past inconsistencies, past failures, past, past problems. We're making these resolutions hoping to, hoping to lose weight or get healthier or spend better so that we can find satisfaction and, and the joy and the happiness that, that seem to evade us so often. How different could it be? How different would it be? If we had that, if we had that, that secret formula. You know, that, that if, if we just had the key to actually making this happen, what if, what if we knew exactly what God would have us do so that we could accomplish what we truly desire? What if we knew exactly what God wanted us to do and wanted us to accomplish just this year, just 2018? What if every decision in detail that, 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 that we're going to face in 2018, what if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% God's perfect will for that decision, that detail we're going to face? I mean, surely we wouldn't wrestle with the stress and anxiety that comes with making some of those decisions, Right? Surely we wouldn't, we wouldn't find that, that we arrive at, at great levels, or, or surely we'd find that we would, we would find great levels of joy and peace that, that can be achieved and that, can, that he's promised us. I mean, surely those are the things behind it. If, if we just understand exactly what he wants us to do in every situation. Well, I think that's what this passage from 1 Peter tells us. I think it tells us exactly what to do in every detail, in, in the face of every decision, in the face of every circumstance, in the face of everything we will face, not just in 2018, but every day for the rest of our lives till Jesus returns. This tells us exactly what God wants us to do and we'll never have to doubt whether we're in his will or we're following his mission or living according to his purpose ever again. Now you're smart people. You, you study the Bible. You, you, you read his word. You're already thinking, maybe you're already kind of going through what we just read. Well, what could it be? He says his will is that we shouldn't sin. So, okay, well, 
I won't sin anymore. I just, I'll quit sinning. Good, good luck with that. <laughs> and, and, and fighting for repentance, fighting to live uh, in opposition to our sin, to, to not sin anymore, fighting for that, yeah, that, that that's there. It, it's certainly part of it, but I don't think it's the whole. If we stop at that, I, don't, I think we miss really what covers everything else. Well, it must be just love one another, serve one another, offer hospitality to one another, pray, offer, you know, exercise self-control. And yeah, I think it's there. I think it's part of it. But it's just part of it. What God wants for us is that we would most fully, most completely experience the radiance and beauty and the majesty and the presence of his glory. We make resolutions to not spend the same as we did last year. We make resolutions to get healthier and lose weight. In some ways thinking that that's going to satisfy us. And if we do happen to achieve those resolutions, we still find ourselves wanting. And so when 2019 rolls around, we're going to make some more resolutions. I think we make resolutions... I think the whole world is making resolutions as they go into 2018 hoping for better, a better year because they are lacking, they are missing, they are not experiencing the great glory of God. God wants us to experience his glory. God's mission for his church is yes, stop sinning. Yes, start loving each other, serving one another. But in order that, this, that in order that in everything, he might be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is God's will for you. This is his purpose for you. This is his mission for the church. God's mission for his church is to prioritize his worship individually, corporately, publicly, that, that his glory is made known through Jesus among, among us and beyond us. It's, it's, he wants us to be a people whose lives are, are so affected by, so filled by, so, so, so overwhelmed with the glory of his presence that, that, that losing weight and, and spending habits and, and, and getting healthy, they, they have some measure of good for us, but they are not ultimately the thing we seek and depend upon. We're so quick to turn this kind of thing upside down. We ask questions about the details of life. What, what, what job should I do? What should my vocation be? What God, what's God's will for my vocation? Who should I date and marry? Like, is this the person for me? And if you've been to Christian college, I hear this story a lot. I didn't go to Christian college, so this didn't happen to me. But, but if you've been to Christian college, you've probably been broken up with because it wasn't God's will that this person date you. Maybe you broke up with someone because it wasn't God's will that you date them. How do you know? Like, did he step down out of heaven and say, I really don't want you to date that person? They're a good Christian person, but really they're not. They're. How do you know that? We look for the details. We, where should I live? Should I buy this house or that one? Should I, should I move up north or down south? Should, should I make this, this major purchase or not? 
We seek to live in God's will. We seek to fulfill his mission. We seek to understand his purpose for our life by looking at the details. I'm totally missing that this is his will. That this is his purpose. It is this purpose. It is this mission that defines everything else about our lives. Let me just help you out. Just practically help you out just a little bit as we think about it for this, 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 for, for this year. Your pursuit of God's mission in your life. Make it about his glory. Should you buy that car? Does it remove you from the ability of glorifying God? Does it facilitate the glorification of God? I wasn't intending to use it. We, 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 I, my truck was, man, it was at the end of its life. Driven it, loved it. Bittersweet moment. We bought a truck. This weekend, was able to, do I make this purchase? Do I not make this purchase? Eight years ago, I would have been like, okay, God, I'm going to flip this coin and you make it. If it's, if it's your will that I get this truck, now, that's being a little facetious, but, but I'm probably not the only one that's ever done this. I'll flip this coin and you make it heads. Come on, I was Gideon, man. Give me that, give me that fleece. Make, make the dew on the fleece, not on the ground. Okay, God, if it's your will, I, you know, I saw it laying on heads. If it's your will, this time make it go tails. We get all stressed out about these specific details. See, what we had determined as we looked at purchasing this vehicle is, is it going to hinder my ability to glorify God? Can I still give generously to the church and to the people, to God's people outside the church and around in the church and to the mission of the church? Absolutely. Is it going to keep me from, am I going to idolize a vehicle to, to the point that all of my time is spent now sitting in this truck and, oh, what a wonderful truck? Probably not. Is it going to inhibit? Or can I use it as a tool for his glory? Can I serve his people through it? You know, sometimes I make jokes about being the guy with the truck and, and, and that guy that you call because you know somebody, you have a friend with a truck. And, and I even made that joke this morning. But, you know, it, it truly is something I appreciate being able to serve people with. I, I, I like being able to serve you with the reality that I've got a truck. But, you know, just in the work that I do, you'd be surprised. Nobody ever told me when I was training to be a pastor that I was going to carry a bunch of stuff that would often need to be in a truck. Wasn't going to tell me that I was going to pull trailers. No, nobody told me about the, the, the construction work that's part of being a pastor. Like, nobody prepared me for that part. I thought I was going to sit in a room and study the Bible and preach on Sunday. That's, I thought that's all there was. I didn't know I was going to be going to Lowe's about every other week to pick up lumber or, or pull a trailer from here to there. I, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know that plumbing was something I, I was going to have to learn to be a pastor. I use that truck for, this, for, for, the, for the service of this church regularly. Is it going to? Yes. And it's keeping me from having to call you while you're at work to borrow your truck. You're welcome. No, seriously, I, I, I want to just, as a practical perspective, Look, we could get bent out of shape over the detail. But underneath is the desire to glorify God. 
It's the purpose. It's the reason for what we do everything. You know, think about this. this. This desire, this, this overarching purpose, this undergirding purpose of God's glory, it doesn't inhibit us. It actually frees us. It opens us options that now we can just walk and live and look to see his glory, whether we go left or whether we go right. If I go left, I'm going to seek to glorify God. If I, if I go right, I'm going to seek to glorify God. If I buy this truck, I'm going to seek to glorify God with it. If I don't buy this truck, I'm going to seek to glorify God. This is his purpose in order that in everything we would seek his glory, that his glory would be made known through Jesus Christ. So instead of getting all the specifics, let's, let's, let's fight, let's work, let's, let's press in, let's strive after the glory of God among us so that it will spread beyond us. Because our city doesn't need another church that's just all about us and what is good for us and what feels comfortable for us. Our our city doesn't need another church that just puts on another great show. Our city needs a church that radiates, that expresses the glory of God that in His presence, in our presence, His presence is made known. That His Son is made famous. That's what our city needs. And that's what villages in West Africa need. That's what our nation needs. So what do we do? How do we do that? Well, I just so happen to think that this passage gives us some clue. Individually, we're going to deal with it individually. We're going to deal with it corporately as as a church. And I think we can see it even how it affects us publicly, beyond our walls. Individually, individually, we prioritize God's worship by believing in Jesus' gospel word and work. Look at where Peter starts. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. This is actually a reference to to the, the, the previous passage, to the previous statement. It's a reference to what Christ did on the cross in his death and resurrection. It's a reference to the gospel. It roots our pursuit and our experience of God's glory in the gospel. We cannot experience his glory if we rid ourselves of the gospel. It, we, we, cannot, we cannot pursue his glory. We cannot strive for his glory if we do not start in the foundation, in, in the very center of believing and pressing into the gospel. Truth is, if it, if we start, let, let's, just say, let's, let's just say we start someplace else other than the gospel. Let's just say we start in the practice of going to church. Like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive for God's glory. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. But in no way that's attached to your faith in the gospel, then all you've done is create a law to live by. That's legalism. And that's as deadly as never leaving your sin. We must start in the gospel. If we don't get the believing the gospel portion settled first, then everything else we do is legalistic. It's law. But if we work to believe, if we strive to believe, if we make believing the gospel our pursuit, that we might see the fame of Christ, that we might experience the glory of God, if we make believing him, trusting him more completely, then everything we strive in after that, as a result of that, everything that flows from that faith is worshipful. Individually, we prioritize God's worship by believing in Jesus' gospel word and work. 
Individually, we prioritize God's worship by enduring in repentance from sin. Look at where, where Peter goes. He says, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Think like him. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And we have to be careful because he's not telling us that if you suffer a little bit, then all of a sudden you're not going to sin anymore. But we can glean from this that if we're going to cease sinning, we are going to have to suffer. We're going to have to endure in it. Because we, the, because we believe the gospel, we, we adopt Jesus' way of thinking it is better to suffer for God's glory than to sin for our momentary pleasure. It's better to suffer and not sin than sin and find some, some, some solitary circumstance of happiness that will leave you empty and wanting often worse than you began. It's believing, it's believing the gospel, repenting of sin, this believing and repenting, to, it's the pattern, everyday pattern of our Christian life. This is, this is what the scriptures have called us to. This is the whole New Testament perspective. It's faith and repentance. It's not an either or proposition. It's not a, I'm going to have faith or I'm going to repent. It's both and. It, it, it's, it's the idea of, of, of I can't walk in two directions at the same time. I'm going to trust Christ. That means I have to turn from my sin. Or I'm not going to trust the gospel. I'm not going to trust Christ and I'm going to continue toward my sin. It's a both and proposition. It's, it's necessary that, that they go together. But you need to see, you need to know how important this is. You see, the reality is this, is that we won't be the church we want to be. We won't be the church we set out to be. If we don't each take this seriously. Sin is deadly. It's destructive. It's divisive. It separates us. And if we don't each work toward this end, whether you intend to or not, or whether you think you are or not, you're hurting those, those people that love you in God's family that long for your good. But more than, what, more than just what you, how, how it affects the others around you, I want you to hear how it affects you. In his book, uh, License to Kill, a Field Manual for Mortifying Sin, it's a book we use in our equipped cohorts. Brian Hedges makes, makes the point of how dangerous sin is and how absolutely necessary we, it is that we have the gospel to, see, to, to know or, or to enable us to overcome it. He says, this is the nature of sin. Left unchecked, it always destroys. Sin's hostility is both unchanging and fatal. Sin defiles the human conscience, hijacks human relationships, weighs down the world with brutality and injustice. Worst of all, sin creates a gulf between us and God. Or in the words of the 17th century pastor John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. There is no such thing as a pet sin. You are dealing with an anaconda that's just waiting for you to lay down and go to sleep so it can swallow you whole and digest you. And Well, you know what comes next. It's destructive. 
He goes on later, he says, or in the word, or I'm sorry, Owen said, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. To attempt to kill sin without Christ will only delude us and harden us and further us, or harden us further in our sins. The first priority in dealing with sin is to look to the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. These two things go hand in hand. We must repent because sin is destructive, divisive. It is, it is killing us. We must repent, but we cannot repent without the gospel. So we must believe, we must repent. This is our individual responsibility growing in worship. If we are going to a people to be a people whose lives are marked by worship, day in, day out, increasing worship across our own heart, multiplying worship across our own heart, we are going to have to be a people marked both by faith in the gospel, growing faith in the gospel, and growing repentance of sin. It's the only way. There's no other method. There's no other option. It must start there. But it doesn't end there. Because we weren't just called to be a people who worship. We were called to be a people whose worship lead others to worship. And so corporately, corporately we prioritize God's worship in each other by striving for unity with one another. Authentic unity. In verses 7 through 11, you can see it's clear. All of a sudden, there's this, this shift from, from what is happening in an individual life, talking about individual people. They're not, he's talking to them corporately about their individual responsibility to turn. But then he speaks to them about their corporate responsibility toward one another. And you begin to see, you begin to hear the importance of the corporate press for this, the corporate work toward this. This unity together, fighting sin, walking in repentance, believing in the gospel. But look at the emphasis of togetherness. Love one another, practice, practice hospitality toward one another, serve one another. 59 times, 59 times, depending on how you count. 59 times over the way I count, there's one another commands in the New Testament. Three of them laid out right here. I think the emphasis, I think it's clear, his point is this, that we are to fight for this unity. It's unfortunate that some of us seek to live to life together as a church by showing up on a Sunday morning service and thinking that that's it, now I'm good, I've got, I can check my box, i got the together part going, I've been to a gathering, I've, I've gathered with the church. In fact, much of the church culture is this way, that we've relegated church life together is to this Sunday morning event and this Sunday morning location it doesn't seem to me that Peter has that in mind at all. It doesn't seem to me that Peter is even thinking about a Sunday morning event or a Sunday morning location. It seems to me that he's talking about day in, day out life together. Love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You know why you need to know that love covers a multitude of sins? Because everybody in this room is a sinner. And if you spend much time together, you're going to find out that sin. And it's going to bug you. And you're going to have to love one another the way Christ loved you. Offer, offer hospitality to one another. You know why we need to offer hospitality? Because it's work. It's work to invite people into your home. Now, he puts a caveat without grumbling. Now, you know, I mean, you know, uh, I forgot we invited them over, and I've never done this to any of you. Don't worry. I just want to sit here at home. It's been a rough day. I don't want to go to their house. You, know? and you get there and everything's fine. Everything's great. I'm glad we were there. But 
But you've got to cross that threshold, right? He, he's saying without grumbling. Like, put this on, fight for this unity together. And th- th- don't mistake this, this is not a unity with everyone. These one another's are referring to the church. This is a unity uh, in the church apart from the world. In fact, if you look at the passage previous, you're going to see the disconnect. As you begin to live a life of faith and, 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 and repentance, it's going to disconnect you from the world. Your life is going to begin to look different. They're going to be surprised that you don't join them in debauchery, Peter says. This is a call to unity within and among God's people. Not a, not a show of unity, not a veneer of unity that falls apart whenever you get pushed past the outward appearance, but, but real unity. And this morning, some of us, uh, we got the faith and repentance part down like we're, we, hey, we're even good Christians. I'm not even going to read the Bible through this year. I mean, that's, that's my resolution. I'm going to experience more of God's glory. I'm going I'm to sit in my quiet time every morning and I'm going to read the Bible and by the end of the year, I'll be all the way through it. And that, that's great. I would commend you to that. Some of you have got the faith and repentance part down and we should celebrate that. But you're not experiencing the glory of God because you're starving yourself of presence among God's people. You're trying to to satisfy your desire for his glory with a Sunday morning service. And as much as as great a preacher as I think I am, I'm not enough for you. You were supposed to laugh at that. You need more than this moment. You're starving for the glory of God, making resolutions, thinking that if I lost the weight or spent the money differently or, or, or in some way solved the problems of 2017 with some practical application, that this year would be better. And you're starving for the glory of God because you're distancing yourself, you're isolating yourself from the glory that's only available among his people. You are not being loved by people in the church. You are not receiving hospitality from people in the church. You are not being served by people in the church because you refuse to connect to the church. And you're trying to live your isolated Christian life hungering for the glory of God. I love the Bible. That's the word of God that works. I say that a lot. I stole that from somebody and could never find the quote anywhere else, so it's mine now. Just if you ever, hey, Seth said that. <laughs> love it. I read it, I study it, I've given my life to service in it. But you can sit in your room, in your quiet place, and you can read the Bible every day for the next 15 years. And you will never know fully the glory of God until you step in and, and experience life among his people. Because it's through his people that he's determined to make his worship known. And so here's the idea. We are a people who, whose lives of worship should lead others to worship. We should be the very first people we should be leading to worship is one another. Corporately, we prioritize God's worship in each other by striving for unity with one another, togetherness. Oneness. Corporately, we prioritize God's worship in each other by serving one another. You see, it's not just about what you can receive. It's not just about what you can get. 
Some of you are starving because you're not connected and you're not receiving from the church, but some of you are starving the church because not only are you not connected, but you are not serving the church. You are not allowing your gifts, the grace that he has bestowed upon you, to be a blessing to his people. As recipients of God's grace, Peter says that we are responsible then to be stewards of God's grace. If we are going to be the church that worships and lead others to worship, our life of worship has to include the service, the loving, the giving, the the, the time, talent, and treasure that, that God has bestowed upon us, being bestowed from us to His people. And he qualifies it in service and in speaking, but it's comprehensive enough to show us that that, that is both our activity and our words, both our word and our works. We must speak truth with grace and we must serve. We must actively serve one another. If we are going to fully know, fully experience, to the best of our opportunity, to the greatest ability within this life, in this time, and in this place before Jesus returns. This is what it takes for us to fulfill the purpose, to fulfill God's mission in our life. Corporately, fighting for unity, corporately, selflessly serving. But our prayer, my prayer, has always been that it doesn't just stay here. His his purpose, his mission for his people is that his glory, that, that we would fight for worship individually, corporately, and publicly so that his glory would be made known through Jesus Christ among us and beyond us. So publicly, we prioritize God's worship in the world by prioritizing God's worship through Jesus in the church. When we begin to live as God intended his people to live, make no mistake about it, people will see it. The light of his glory will reflect off of us into a dark city. And his glory will be made known. In his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, Leslie Newbegin. Leslie Newbegin is a missiologist. He's a bishop and uh, uh, he, he makes a profound statement in regard to this. I put the whole quote on the screen. You can read along as I read it for you. He says, I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. He asks this question, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. And if you just stop there, just stop and think about this for a second. This is a crazy story we got to tell. Right? God put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He exercised power. He taught with authority. And then he died a sacrificial death. And he says, if you'll just trust in me, if you'll just believe in this, my death will, will bring forgiveness to your sins. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he's, he rose again. And he says, if you just believe this, you will not die. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life if you'll just trust me. That's a crazy story. Have you thought about how crazy the story is that this man came back from the dead? Just, just even that part of it. 
How crazy the story is that the fullness of God dwelt in him. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? He goes on, I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic, the only explanation, the only way to interpret is what that word means. I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I am, of course, not denying the importance of the many activities by which we seek to challenge public life with the gospel. Evangelistic campaigns, distribution of Bibles and Christian literature, conferences, and even books such as this one. But I am saying that these are all secondary. And they have power to accomplish their purpose only as they are rooted in and leading back to a believing community. Brothers and sisters, our city doesn't need us to come up with some great strategy to fix all their problems. This neighborhood doesn't need us to be the answer to all their problems. Just one. That they can see and experience and hear about the great glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. That's what God's will for you in 2018 is. Wherever you go, in everything you do, in every decision you face, in every detail you get to. You see, some of us, some of us, we have the faith and repentance piece down. We're, we've been practicing that for a while. Some of us, we, 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 we've grown into the idea of, of church as more than just an event and a, and a place. It's a, it's a people that we live among and we serve and are served by. But some of us need to realize that we need to do this in such a public fashion that when they see us and when they hear about us, they are surprised. They are surprised that we don't join them in, in their debauchery, that they are surprised that, that, they, that we don't join them in the ways that they live, that we don't approve of the ways that they live, that they don't, we don't enter in with them to the ways that they live. And maybe even we're willing to be maligned. Because God's glory that softens some hearts is the glory that hardens others. It's not our call to see how people respond. It's just our call to simply go out and let his glory be known. That's his will for you every day. In everything you face, in every decision you make, that's his will for you. That's his will for this church. And that's what he wants to do through this church. How? Do you need to grow in experiencing and radiating his glory this year? Faith and repentance. Service and interaction with his people. Or being a part of making him publicly visible to the world we live in. Let's pray.